welcome to a new Paradigm of Education podcast. I'm your host, Monique Sayers. Today we have with us a special guest. Her name is Jonah Watson. Before I go ahead and introduce Jonah, I'll just introduce the podcast to those of you that are tuning in for the first time. So a new Paradigm of Education is a movement in education that's here to help the planet to change education into what we wish it to be for the future of our children and for the highest good of humanity. What that looks like has been different with all the people that I've been interviewing on this podcast, but what I found is the same is that everybody's looking for a heart-centered, heart-led education. So with that, I'd love to introduce Jonah. She's a school psychologist of her 13th year, which is going to be really interesting to find out your perspective. And she's also a mother of four children, 10, eight, eight or oh, twins and five. So she's <laughs> seems like you're very busy with children in your life, Jonah. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, my kids keep me busy. This is the first year they're all in school. So I'm working on some of my own creative projects. But yeah, definitely love kids. And I have definitely, you know, had a journey to get to where I'm at, because I agree with what you're saying that there, it is time to sort of relook at some of the, the things we believe about education. Yeah, and I really love something that you shared with me. Um, you shared with me something privately that um, schools have been, you know, reinforcing us or teaching us to be people pleasers. And I could not agree more with you on that. Um, I know even like just my recent return to Australia uh, with my own daughter, I noticed that I hadn't taught her manners because in our house, we, we're a bilingual family and we have like English and Spanish happening. So we just speak just as we speak without needing the manners. And when we got there, she was being corrected by every person. And I was like, oh my goodness, manners. Okay, that's also part of this programming. And I, I understand it's necessary in some circumstances, but it just made me realize um, culturally how like the like how these different nuances have been affected us and our brain programming and I'd love to hear your angle on what you classify as people pleasing in school and what you've seen as the differences you know yeah I mean I think that there's a lot to it that we don't always really consciously think about so much of it when we go to school is so much about standing in line and doing all of the the things that frankly if you're managing a a large class. I mean, a lot of it is just to sort of keep everyone, the system flowing. And I think that that can sometimes translate to kind of operating out of sameness that we're all going to be um, the same. And, and there's not a, as much room, I think, for um, the ability to find your voice as a, as a child, because you're sort of taught that these are the ways and, and, you know, obviously we, we need to teach kids and there's an efficiency that I think is built in because there's a teacher trying to teach a class of 25 kids. And I'm not sure how much it differs around the world. I think it's great. You're, you're getting a, a world perspective. Um, so in the United States, you know, typically that's the class size and, um, I think that, you know, from what I've seen though, it, it can be, I think, especially having being a mom, I I've shifted a lot of things over the years and seeing the things that my kids come home and say, and just relooking at, um, my own personal journey and how I maybe was not being true to my own heart, 
Um, and maybe just checking boxes or doing the things that I was, um, kind of taught to do. And, um, I look at learning as a very active process. The brain is very active. We take in information through our five senses. That's how we learn and retain information and retrieve it. Um, it's a very deep sense of learning. And whereas education, a lot of times can be very passive. And I, I think that that's the difference is, you know, lifelong learning, I believe should be happening. Um, and I think that, um, it's just a sort of shifting towards what, how that looks differently. Um, and also being comfortable stepping outside of, of what you've been taught as educate, as education, as a passive process. Yes. I, I hear you on that, um, as well. And yeah, the class sizes I've taught in, I've been very lucky. I've had like, I taught in Bali. So I had one year, I had six children. Another year I had 14 children. So I've been oh, wow. really lucky as an educator to be able to give my time to every single child with exactly what they need. And our classroom was like, it was beautiful. I could have all different kinds of lessons all happening at once because I could give the space for that. But I've also been in Australia where we have bigger classes up to 30 sometimes. And um Yes. And a lot of the time I would be taught just to be going like, Shh. <laughs> I would turn up at a school as a casual and, you know, if you could keep them quiet, you would pass the day. And it was like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me to, to be doing that. I don't want that as my role. You know, there's just these beautiful little beings out there that want to see here and feel everything and give them, you know, all those opportunities that we can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that some of the, the specific examples have come out of just my, my kids being kids. So they'll come home and tell me stories of, um, like, for example, with the pandemic, things were very different. I wasn't allowed in this school when my twins started school in kindergarten. And one of him, Jackson, my, one of my twins was kind of having a, a rough start to the school year. And, um, Jet, my oldest, um, he's a, rule follower, but I was so proud of him one day because he said, um, you know, they said no touching at school. We're not allowed to touch any other child, but I saw Jackson in the hallway and he looked so sad. He looked like he was about to cry. So I give him a hug. And I was just so proud of him because, um, it's like learning to shift from, okay, these are the prescribed rules to being more heart centered. And for my son, you know, reaching out and hugging his brother, I was really proud of him. Um, he's not going around giving hugs to everyone, but I, I do think there, there's that sense of like, if we're not careful, those rules can really get in the way of, um, creativity and innovation, um, curiosity. And so I, I'm hoping that my kids, I was really proud of him on those day, that day, but then there's times, there's plenty of times that we talk through situations where I'm like, does that make sense? Like I, I asked them and, and, you know, frankly, it is hard. We, we have good discussions. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I guess also from your perspective as a psychologist, you'd probably be able to see them in different lenses as well, you know? Um, and did your, your ideas, have they shifted for you? Like from when you first started out as a psychologist studying all the things you studied to what, what you see is like necessary now? Have you got any examples? Yeah, I think definitely. I, I, as I started out, I didn't have any kids. I 
went through grad school and I thought, well, this is going to be what I do. And, um, I had my son when I was, it was in my second year. Um, and I really, you know, as I started watching him develop and had to be away from him because I was still working and then I had my twins. So it was like layer upon layer of my own stress response. I think that was beginning to affect my life. Um, and so realizing that as I was healing my own heart, realizing my own stress response of being kind of a people pleaser, um, and that was what I saw a lot of um, myself sometimes projected into, into situations I was seeing where um, going along with things, even if it's not necessarily best for everyone. Um, and so I've started using my own voice as I've seen um, things come up. So that's included like presenting research on um, autism and also writing some of my children's books, because I think that, um, there's just a lot of education has already, I, I think there's, there's a lot of people that would agree that the way we're doing education is not the best, um, and the way that it's structured. Um, so it's, I mean, it's been a journey for me. I, I think there's probably no way to talk about it without talking about my own personal journey of finding, reconnecting with my own heart and learning to refine, rediscover my own voice, probably. Totally. I hear you on that. And I feel like as we are healing and holding the space that we're better able to do that for our children. And then I imagine a world where our children don't even need to do that because they're just like already happy and already like already highly conscious and don't have to go through all this generational trauma. I don't know if that's naive of me to imagine that, but I do imagine that, you know, I hope so. I, I mean, I, I would like to think, you know, teaching things like breathing and meditation to my kids. I know that I told my daughter, <laughs> I didn't learn how to breathe until I was 35. And I went back and she said, what? <laughs> um, and, and I said, well, I mean, I was breathing, but I did not know how to take some deep breaths. And I didn't even know that was a thing until, you know, about six years ago. So it's, I hope that my kids have more tools and, and this generation has more tools going forward that they don't have to take so long in life to catch up. I'm catching up on a lot of things that I really wish I would have learned when I was their age. So you're speaking of that um, while we're on the topic, you mentioned breathing. Did you have any other short little tip you could help out parents or teachers with that we could offer to our children that would bring them into that space? Well, I think that just getting centered using our five senses. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel in my body? I'm um, going through the five senses is a really quick check to just get back to the present moment, because most of the times we're either in the past or we're somewhere in the future, or we're just, you know, not even, you know, we're just running around. We're very busy and um, getting back to the present moment. Is, that's a really quick check. Beautiful. Thank you. And I'm really curious about um, your children's books as well, because one of them, you said you talk about the fawn response, which I think is maybe we can talk about what is that response and then talk about the book. I think it's really necessary to learn about that. Yeah, that was um, Pete Walker coined that phrase, the fawn response. It was um, it's in his book, Complex Trauma. 
Um, so that's a great book to read if you want to know a lot about the fawn response. He's kind of the, the go-to person for that. Um, but the book that I wrote, it's called Ruby, the rubber band learns her limits, a case of being too stretchy. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, it's really the fawn response is all about people pleasing. So it's a stress response where you are so good at reading a room or understanding empathy to a degree that you're really merging with other people or don't have a sense of boundaries. And so you're really not having, you're not staying connected to yourself. You are allowing other people to sort of take that space. Mm. So Ruby, um, the rubber band, she has to learn her limits by not getting too stretchy. She ends up getting too stretched out because she's listening to all of these other people and voices to do things that she just doesn't want to do things that are not, um, right or wrong. She just doesn't want to wear, you know, uncomfortable shoes or, um, you know, go to scary movies, things like that. And so, um, she ends up having to go to the school of no, um, and she gets, um, stitched back together by Miss True to Your Heart, where she really, um, learns how to, the, the stitches are these beautiful rainbow stitches where anytime she goes to a situation in the future, she, the stitches start to twitch if she's not being true to her heart. And it's really also about staying connected to our bodies because our bodies really do signal to us. If we're paying attention, those signals will tell us when we're not being true to our hearts. And we really get very used to going along with that people pleasing. Some of that is just, you know, we're participating in society, but some of it, we do have choices of not wanting to watch the scary movie. Like she doesn't want to, or not wanting to wear the heels. Like she doesn't want to. So things that, um, you know, she wants to stay true to her heart. And I think that there's that, the staying connected to both your heart and your body that can serve our kids so well. Um, and I think that if they have those tools, that will be so much further along, I think, um, than I was personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really important. This message and learning like for children to learn to say no is really important. Um, and not just no, because it's like unsafe, but no, just because they don't want to. And yeah, because so many times, you know, people have been taught to say, yes, we must follow adults. We must always agree. And, um, yeah. and even with peers as well, like, I guess around the teenage, you know, even earlier, you know, you want to follow your friends and you don't want to, you don't know what your boundaries are. So I really think it's an important book that you've written. It's really, it sounds really beautiful. And I love how you've done the rainbow stitches and the body awareness and everything like that as well. And did you find, did you apply it to your children? Did you find that they're able to know what a no is and a yes is like? Right. So that's, they are, there's some discussion questions in the end that I included to go through with your kids um, to discuss some of those things of, are there situations that you want to go to the school of no are, but also on the other side of that, what do you want to say yes to? Because um, it's not just saying no is important. I think we do condition that out of kids some, and that's so fawn. And I didn't say this. So backing up fight, flight, freeze are the ones that people are more familiar with, but fawn is the, the, other term that Pete Walker has coined. Um, but we do sort of condition no out of the vocabulary. A lot of the times we think that that's developmental in two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and then we need to teach compliance. And yes, there's safety. Absolutely. We need to teach that part of things, but keeping no in their vocabulary 
is really important. It's really crucial, crucial for identity formation and for boundaries. And um, so that also helps you know what to say yes to, which I, I think even, you know, young adults have difficulty sometimes losing their way a little bit with that. And so that can be a really good way to stay um, true to your heart. Yeah, it's such a big thing to um, to teach. And it just reminded me of some children one time I was teaching and they didn't have an answer like to some emotional kind of questions. They were like, oh, I don't know. Like you would ask a question like, how are you or different kinds of questions. And they would quite often just be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like they didn't have any way of knowing what they were even feeling. What would you do or recommend in those kind of situations? Well, you know, I'll, I'll say with my own daughter, um, and I haven't used this like with any um, of the kids like in schools or anything, I do a lot of testing and evaluation. So unfortunately, I don't do a whole lot of um, like therapeutic type work, because a lot of my um, workload is primarily based on testing. But um, like when I introduce the concept is really flexible, staying flexible, but not too stretchy is the, is really what Ruby learns how to do. And, um, you know, I was talking with her about it. She's in second grade, just for some context, so she's eight years old. And she understood that to, to feel, um, like the ways that she could still, um, you know, maybe do the things that aren't her first choice, but then not go too far and like kind of um, go go along with things that she's not agreeing with. Um, and just to answer your question, probably more specifically with my five-year-old, um, she is a little bit less aware of her emotions and things. So a lot of times I ask her, you know, if I'm, we all lose the capacity to talk verbally when we're upset. So that just, we get disconnected from our higher order thinking, our prefrontal cortex is disconnected. We're in that brainstem. And so none of us should really be having a lot of conversations when we're upset. We all know that if we've ever been around a child with a tantrum, but any of our adult conversations too. Um, and just going back to, okay, rather than having her use her words. A lot of times we say, use your words, but it's not really that helpful for kids. I ask her to point to where the sadness is, um, or where the, you know, where it is in her body rather than, um, try to use words to describe how she's feeling, um, or have her point to a feelings chart to be able to show visually, um, if she can't say how she's feeling. So one of the things I did was include a feelings chart in the back, um, so that kids can point to, um, how, like, as she gets, um, kind of stretched out as you probably can't see, but she, she goes through this whole, she gets so stretched out and I don't know if you can see oh, the feelings. Chart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's, feelings, yeah. there's feelings underneath. And so you can use that. Parents can use that to ask their kids. So visually is a little bit easier so that you're not having to use the verbal, um, response with kids because they're not going to have the verbal response that you want in that moment um yeah yeah that's amazing and then what do you do with the feelings like if they're like i'm angry or i'm whatever like what do you do with those feelings like you just let them sit in the feeling or like i'm just wondering from your perspective yeah <laughs> yeah well and what i do with my own kids when we're in those moments is i i say okay this is a feeling and like allowing it to be a feeling and sitting with it and like taking teaching them how to take some some breaths um 
and helping them realize that feelings are not permanent, that they're kind of like clouds and they, they come in and out, um, or like a wave, they come in and out. Um, and they're not, they're not forever. We can sit with that. We can stay present. And a lot of that does go to adult co-regulation. Like we kind of kids and kids and adults, we co-regulate together. So making sure that we're, um, in a good state as parents. That's why so much of this came up for me as a parent. Um, I was not great at that. <laughs> I wasn't good at sitting with the feelings because I was so used to bypassing that. Mm. So that's, that's been a, a, that's been what I've, I have to, to work on, um, in order to stay present with my kids. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful to know. Thank you for sharing that. I think that will help a lot of people. And I'm also curious as well, you have a second children's book. So is it a similar theme or is it completely different? Or tell us about this one as well. Yeah, it's actually completely different. Okay. Um, my one is called um, A Great Lakes Tale. Um, Superior learns she's part of the flow. So this is a totally different book. I am going to do some more Ruby books. I'm actually having an idea for a series on that, but this one, this was actually one that has a, this one came about very differently. Um, and it's really about, um, you know, learning that we're all connected and that we are all um, really one. So what happens is um, Lake Superior is a great lake. So she thinks she's the best lake. She's Lake Superior. Uh, um, and so she thinks she's better than all the other rivers and lakes and streams, um, all the other water. And over time, she starts losing her water line. It starts going down and down and down. And she's losing her water to another lake. And um, she is really upset about it and um, realizes though over time, um, that the water comes back to her through the water cycle and um, fills her back up again. Um, and that she realizes that really, even in different forms, that we're all the same, we're all connected and we all need each other, even if we look different. So it's kind of teaching, we may all look different, rain, snow, you know, it comes back in all of these forms and, but we all really need each other. Mm, I love that. And I just, I was just, um, as she was reading it, like saying it to me, I was like, this is exactly what we need in our classrooms and in our homes is these kind of books and none of the old <laughs> tales of these fairy tales that really like now that it, whenever I have a fairy tale book, I skip over parts or I change parts because they just like they personally frustrate me. I don't want to teach that to children that this is the only way of living and this kind of model is is it. And sorry, just yeah. as you were saying, I was like, yeah, it's good. We've got some other kinds of stories. This is perfect. Yeah. As I've been getting back, this was something that I used to do as a kid. I used to write books and I again, got disconnected from that side of myself. But um, yeah, I, I feel like that's, I love books. I love reading with my kids. And I, I came up against the same thing. I'm like, most of these books are either about nothing or they're about things that I don't want to teach my kids. Um, so yeah, it, it's opened up a whole, I, I think there's a huge need for books that are about something that is teaching consciousness and, and things like that with our kids. Amazing. Yeah. And does this book also include any activities or it's more just a storybook, this one? This is just a storybook, but I really think it would be good. This one I wrote super fast. It just came together um, 
very quickly. It was one of those things that I was kind of in my own flow. So I, I did not include, um, I, I think it'd be great to have some discussion questions. I might, I might do that as like kind of a, I might do that soon. This one is, yeah, this one is available though. And I think it would though, this would be great in classrooms. I mean, it's teaching the water cycle. It is teaching those some really great concepts that really, if this isn't, this book is needed now, probably more than ever. I think we all think we're so different and we, we forget our shared humanity. And so Lake Superior is learning something that I think we all need to come back to. Yes. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree on teaching uh, the concept of interconnectivity and oneness. And I also love that you can link it back to um, official topics if you really want to as well. So yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's great. It's, it's got that, that scientific part, but I think, you know, schools are, are starting at least here. I don't know how it is everywhere else, but learning social, emotional, um, skills I, it does fit in so i you know i i'm really excited about this one is available now it's on barnes and noble um so you can order it i it's i'm excited about this one and i think it's 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 going to provide some good discussion yeah you can families. just we can get the links and we can put that in um the bottom as well for anybody who's interested i'm interested as well so yeah that sounds great um, I have a question that I ask everybody who comes on our podcast, and that is, uh, what is your vision for a new paradigm of education? Oh, that's such a good question. I really envision kids who understand our interconnectivity and are really working on their own, expanding their own consciousness um, to be able to solve problems. Um, that the world has and to really move more towards peace and love. Beautiful. That's really beautiful. And I see that's um, really being birthed more and more with the people like yourselves that have been meeting through our podcast and through our, our group of new paradigm of education. It's like just there's so many visionaries or just everyday people that are just wanting to make changes and just little steps, you know, like what you were sharing, you know, making a little step towards yourself of, okay, well, what could I do to show up better? And then secondly, well, what could I then pass on? And it's really that simple. And then it forms into this beautiful co-creation of a new paradigm and the next generations will be really impacted, I believe. I think so too. I, you know, my phrase I kind of go back to is a better world starts with me. And if we all did that, you know, I think that it, it does start with, with us as adults. I have a podcast also called the five minute inner child. So like when I started practicing that, the practice I kind of came up with for myself was I was going to spend five minutes a day connecting with myself in a way that honored apart from goals or outcomes. So, you know, so much of my life is very practical, very, you know, very adult. Um, and that was my way of connecting with my inner child. And through that it's led to where I'm at. So it, it, in a lot of ways, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm having a lot of fun, <laughs> but, um, it started with that practice. And so I, I am encouraging adults. It starts with you and your family. And it doesn't have to be that you're going to write a book or do a podcast. Like that's what I'm doing because it's fun for me. But, um, I think that if it starts with you, it's whatever, apart from goals or outcomes, what does it look like for you to, to honor yourself for five minutes a day? And I hope we all have five minutes a day. That's what I always say. And then also teaching our kids that, that it start a better, 
better world starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with us all deciding to take that step. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really important. Um, and especially for adults, I think we understand that concept. And then I think it's important to teach children about that as well in terms of um, taking it a step further towards like responsibility for, for themselves, because quite often children I've noticed can go into blame really easily and hide away. And then, then how do you, you know, teaching this radical self-responsibility to children? It's, it seems like a, a mature thing to do, but I think it's also, it's necessary for them to understand that. Have you got any ideas about that? Well, so I hope my books, my goal with my books is that they're teaching self-awareness because the common thread, even though those books seem very, very different, I was like trying to think, what is my common thread? I'm really trying to teach self-awareness. And that is, I think that there's a, you know, we kind of all develop an ego or response system to our environment and to our circumstances, but teaching, and I'm not sure if, if there's a way around that, because that's, that's the world we live in, but teaching self-awareness that we are, are aware at least of the ways that we didn't show up perfectly in these moments. Um, I think that that's a building block that we don't, we haven't really paid a lot of attention to teaching self-awareness. Um, I think adults could, we, we all need to work on our own self-awareness. And that's what the practice of the five minute inner child too, is like coming back to like being aware of, um, how am I feeling? What do I need? Do I just need five minutes of silence or do I need five minutes of a dance party or five, you know, what is it that I need and being self-aware enough to even ask that question. Um, it's not a super high value that we've been teaching. Yeah. So exactly. I, I think that starting is, it's a good place to start. I think I, I'm not sure I I'm, um, I, I think that that's a good place to start. Yes, by us being the change that the others are impacted as well, they can see that in us. And that's, yeah, that's perfect. If people wanted to reach you, um, is there any way they can reach out to you? Sure. I'm on Instagram, um, Jonna underscore Watson. Um, and you can also, um, my website is under construction. It should be available soon. But um, in the meantime, you can reach out at hello at jonnawatson.com. That's my email. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I learned a lot about uh, the children's response um, mechanisms and how we can support them emotionally. I think it's such an important gift. And then also beyond emotionally interconnectivity and beyond, like, I think that's super important for all of us, this message that you're bringing to the world. So thank you so much for connecting with us today. Thank you. This was a real pleasure. So those of you who have been tuning in today to our podcast, A New Paradigm of Education, uh, also thank you for tuning in because you're part of the co-creation of this. You know, as listeners, you have um, empowered yourself to be here and to make choices around, well, what is it that you vision for a new paradigm of education? And, you know, what kind of steps could you take towards that? You know, little, little steps, big steps. Together, we all hold hands and make a co-creative space. A massive wave of change. So thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Namaste. Namaste.